Hi, my name is Marie. I'm an alcoholic. Marie. Um, I want to say thank you um, for having me at your meeting and thank you for asking me to speak. Thank you, Rebecca, for um, being my 10 minute speaker. Um, I have a sobriety date of August 26, 2008. Um, so I think this upcoming Friday, um, I will have 14 years sober. Um, I'm very grateful for that. Um, I have a sponsor. Her name is Michelle L. Um, and I have um, a home group. It's the same home group as Rebecca. It's a Monday night women's book study meeting at 630 in Laguna Beach. And I have a couple other meetings that I consider home groups that I go to um, a Thursday night women's meeting and the um, Sunday night uh, legacy speaker meeting. Um, and what I consider a home group because um, that I had to be taught what that was, um, is it is a meeting that I'm at every week. Um, I try to have a commitment there and give back to the meeting. Um, and I try to welcome anyone new that walks in the door. Um, and it's a meeting that if I'm not there, um, you know, I know I'm no, I know it's noticed because I'm there every week and I try to be a part of, um, and that is, you know, been huge for my sobriety and why I think I've been able to <clears throat> maintain, you know, continuous sobriety. Um, so I, um, I was born in Oklahoma. Um, I came out to California for treatment. I ended up just staying out here. Um, I love it out here. Um, you know, I was born to two parents who, um, they loved me very, very much. Um, but they didn't love each other so much. Um, those are my earliest memories at least. And there was a lot of fighting and stuff in my household growing up and um, just wasn't a very comfortable or um, relaxing place to grow up. Um, you know, and they ended up getting divorced when I was 13 um, and all of that stuff, you know, going through all of that doesn't make me an alcoholic or anything like that. Um, I know people who've been through a lot worse and didn't abuse alcohol or drugs um, to cope. And I know people who, you know, it, it, that's not the reason why, um, but it did teach me a few things that um, came in handy in my disease of alcoholism. Um, you know, it taught me how to kind of pretend everything was okay and um, put on a good face and, um, you know, kind of like look over here while really everything was like falling apart, you know, and um, taught me how to lie, um, <clears throat> you know, and it taught me how to manipulate. And um, so my parents, they got divorced when I was 13 and it was like perfect timing because um, that's when I really, uh, my, I think my alcoholism reared its ugly head and, you know, other things besides alcohol that I had access to, you know, I started sneaking out hanging out with boys, smoking cigarettes. Um, you know, I, I smoked weed for the first time around that time. Um, and so I think it was around 13 or 14 that, um, that I um, drank alcohol for the first time. Well, let's see, the first time I drank alcohol was, I think it was like eighth grade or something like that. And I, <clears throat> I drank a, um, a couple like, I don't know, wine coolers or something like that. And I didn't really feel any effect, but I pretended that I did and, you know, giggled all night and that was it. So I was determined to actually get drunk. So I went to my mom's liquor cabinet 
Um, I took some empty, you know, soda bottles and just started pouring random liquor into random bottles. Um, I, I mean, and my mom had stuff and has still stuff in there that's, I mean, 20 years old. I don't even know, you know, so it was like Kahlua and gin and I, I'm not even really sure what, what all it was, but I took it over to my friend's house. Um, and, you know, I lied to my mom about where I was staying, took it over to my friend's house. Her parents weren't home. And, um, and we just started chugging, you know, liquor out of those bottles. And I'd never consumed hard liquor before. So I didn't know the difference, you know, really anything about it. Um, and I, blacked out within five minutes. Um, I just remember sitting on the floor, swaying back and forth, feeling drunk. And I was like, so this is what it feels like, you know, and I blacked out almost immediately. And um, I came to the next morning, I was um, face down naked in my own puke. Um, so that's how my drinking started. And, um, you know, it didn't really ever change all that much. Um, and, you know, it's like, and I remember after that, I went, my mom picked me up the next morning. I was like, oh, I have food poisoning or whatever. And I was, I was ill, like really sick for, you know, a couple of days, at least I couldn't drink water or keep crackers down or anything. Like I probably had alcohol poisoning, but I didn't know and what that was, you know, so I just kind of toughed it out. And, um, and that five minutes of what it felt like to be intoxicated <clears throat> was worth all that that I went through, you know, I couldn't wait to do it again. And, um, so, you know, I don't know, I went into high school and, and I, like I said, I was good at kind of spinning lots of plates and look over here, everything's good. You know, I, I was a, a good student. Um, and so I made good grades and I would party on the weekend. And that's just how high school was for me. It wasn't really a problem or it didn't seem like a problem. You know, I look back after coming to AA and working my steps, I look back, um, you know, and it's like, I always drank for the effect. I was, you know, seldom, never mildly intoxicated. You know, I was always insanely drunk when I did drink. Um, but I maintained, you know, because um, I would work hard and, and do school and then just, you know, get um, messed up on the weekends with my friends. And um, it didn't really seem abnormal um, at the time, at least. Um, so I went to college, I graduated high school, I went to college because that's what you're supposed to do. I didn't really want to go, but that's what you're supposed to do. So um, I did that. And, you know, that's really when, like, my, that's really when I started to um, have access to more things. And um, I just remember, like, thinking back, I remember I, I, didn't know it at the time, but I think I was extremely depressed. Plus, drinking alcohol is a depressant, you know, and so um, I just started drinking every day. And it, it did, even then, it didn't seem abnormal because you're in college and there's always a party, you know, to find. And um, but I just got more and more and more depressed. Um, and I had moved from Oklahoma to Kansas for school, and so I was like, that was a bad decision. And so I moved back. Um, and I still, and, but by that point, you know, I was, I was, um, getting drunk every single day. Um, 
And, you know, my lifestyle had changed a lot that uh, made it hard to go to class or have a, you know, hold a job or keep an apartment, things like that. And um, I, I started working at a, I started working in restaurants and um, that exposes you to a lot of stuff. And um, so, you know, I got exposed to, I mean, I, in high school, I would smoke weed, I, you know, pop pills, whatever was around, um, you know, but I hadn't really been exposed to much, much else. Um, but I started to, you know, and, and for me, any substance and so for any, any substance that I try and I like, which is pretty much all, um, like I go 100%, you know, I don't just like dabble and that's how it was for me. And, and I <clears throat> actually really never liked that feeling um that alcohol you know where I felt out of control um that I didn't remember things that you know I, I I'm a bit of a control freak I didn't really learn that until I got sober but um so substances made it so I felt other than alcohol made it felt made it feel like I was much more in control you know and so um you know pretty quickly I ran through you know trying ecstasy and, you know, going to raves and, and, you know, snorting cocaine and doing all that stuff. And, um, pretty, it didn't take very, very long. Um, and I tried, uh, crystal meth for the first time, which, um, I don't think those words crystal meth ever came out of my mouth till I got sober. I mean, we called it, you know, dope or speed or whatever, but, um, so sometimes it still feels awkward saying it, but, um, you know, that's what was plentiful in Oklahoma where I grew up. Um, and so, you know, I tried that and then that was it for me. Like I stopped everything else because it would mess with that high, you know? And, um, and so, and, and I, up until that point, I, I guess I, I mean, I, I thought I was maintaining, but you know, I really wasn't. Like I said, I, I couldn't hold on to a job. I had dropped out of school, was lying to my family about what I was doing. Um, I gotten kicked out of a couple different apartments. Um, you know, I lived in this one apartment in Oklahoma in the winter, which is very cold, um, with no electricity. I had more important things to buy, you know, than pay for my electricity bill. Um, you know, and um and I lost, you know, got evicted from that apartment and um, where my using and drinking landed me was 21 years old um, in jail and I was three months pregnant. And um, that was the first time that kind of things came to a screeching halt where it was like, I had something else other than a desire to get completely fucked up all the time. Um, you know, there was something else that was, um, pushing me to stop, um, and a little bit of a desire to stop, if not for myself, you know, for the fact that I was pregnant and, um, you know, and when I came to Alcoholics Anonymous later, they talked about pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization. Um, and because of like that experience and many others, um, but, I related, you know, and I knew what that felt like, like waking up. Well, I didn't wake up. I'd been up for a long time, but coming down in jail, um, you know, like <laughs> fiending, right, in jail, um, you know, and, and um, 
the I got arrested in a really, really small town in Oklahoma. So the, there was like five jail cells. And, you know, one of the police officers was like bringing me extra food because I was, you know, hungry and pregnant and hadn't eaten in like two years. So mm-hmm. um, it was just awful, you know, that feeling. Um, I just, I was, you know, disgusted um, with myself. And it was, and like I said, it was the first time I had any inkling of a desire to stop. You know, before that, I was always like, this is the lifestyle I want to live. I just want to party. I just want to get as, you know, med- like I want, I'm in control. I want to do this, you know. Um, I'm making these decisions. Um, and so I got out of jail. Um, I, tried to stop getting high. Um, It was much harder than I thought it would be. Um, I was not as much in control as I thought I was. Um, You know, I ended up reaching out to my mom when I hadn't spoke. I kind of cut her off when I was 18 um, after I moved out and um, she let me move back in with her. I wasn't honest with her or really anyone about what was going on, except that I was in a bad situation. I was pregnant, hanging out with the wrong people, all that stuff. And, you know, I was able to not get, um, well, I was able to not drink, not use speed for the rest of my pregnancy. I did smoke weed still here and there because I had to do something. Um, but I thought that was sober. I really did. I thought that that was like getting my act together. And, um, you know, this was another really important part for me later when I came to Alcoholics Anonymous, because that period of time where I was like abstinent, right, not putting a, a substance in my body or what I thought was sober, um, you know, they talk about the obsession of the mind. And like, I was like, I knew what that felt like, you know, that period of time where I wasn't using <clears throat> or drinking but I didn't have like AA or a higher power or a relationship with a higher power to replace that. Um, Like I couldn't fall asleep because I was thinking about getting loaded. Once I would finally fall asleep, I would wake up, you know, all the time from dreams about getting loaded. When I woke up, the first thing I thought about was like, you know, getting loaded. and, And it was like that stomach turning, like palms sweaty, you know, just, um, and, and for me, like I was able to, you know, stay sober for that period of time because I thought, okay, we'll just like, I ended up feeling pretty much doomed to drink and drug again, whether or not I wanted to, because there was a part of me that didn't want to. I was like, this is the chance to get my life together and I can, you know, like get back on track. And it was like, even those thoughts, I was like, why even bother thinking those? That's not going to happen for me. Like I, this is, this is big, you know, I felt powerless, right? I didn't have the words for it at that time, but I felt completely powerless. Um, and so because of that, I ended up having my daughter on March 8th of 2008 and I gave her up for adoption. Cause I was like, I cannot, I'm not going to like, if I'm going to drink and drug myself to death, that's one thing. Um, but I just, I'm, I'm not going to, you know, she's an innocent bystander. And that was, that was the, the decision I made at the time. Um, you know, it was a, it was a very painful decision. Um, and so after I had her, I think that I knew I was going to get loaded again. It didn't take long. Went home from the hospital. They sent me home with a bottle of Percocet. I downed that in like a day and a half, went out. Um, bought a bunch of alcohol, got drunk, blacked out, came to the next morning at, you know, 5am with a crystal meth pipe in my mouth. And I remember thinking, I remember feeling relief, like, 
was I've been thinking about it for so long. Finally, I'm just here. Like it was like, it was just like, I just gave up, you know? And um, I picked up right where I left off. Um, and I used and drank with a, with a, a desperation that I had not before because of the pain that I felt and the fact that I was running from it. Um, <clears throat> I ended up getting arrested again pretty quickly a couple times um, after that. And I basically came to the point where it was like, I had, I had to make a decision that I was either going to accept help. I was going to get honest, right? Number one and accept help <clears throat> or I was going to stay in jail for a while. <laughs> um, so I did um, take the offer of treatment from my parents. Um, I went to a treatment center in Arizona. They recommended I come out here for, you know, aftercare and sober living. I really didn't want to. Um, I really didn't want to, but I also didn't want to go back to jail. Um, <clears throat> so I came out here and it was kind of like, you know, I'll give it 30 days. I'll give it 60 days. I'll give it 90 days. Like, you know, I just kind of kept taking it like one little chunk of time at a time. And, um, you know, what happened for me, all I can really share is my experience. And, you know, I really didn't dive into this program my first nine months sober. And I wouldn't recommend doing that. You know, I mean, I think that I put myself in a lot of pain that I didn't, wasn't necessary, but we all have to have our own experience. Right. And um, I really, I worked steps one, two, and three because the treatment center said I had to. Um, I got a sponsor, you know, because they said that I needed to, and I attended meetings that they took me to, and then, you know, I switched sponsors, and I worked steps one, two, and three again, and and I don't really think I was, like, super honest with a sponsor. I mean, I was honest. I didn't lie to her, but I, like, didn't really tell, you know, I wasn't transparent, right? I wasn't, like, really talking about what mattered, and um, the fact that I was miserable sober, you know, um, because that's really what my first few months were, like, the obsession was with me full force. I, you know, wanted to get loaded every single day, every single minute of every single day. But I just hung on to my seat and just kept taking it like one minute, one hour, then one day at a time, you know, because that's what they kept saying. And um, right around nine months sober, you know, I kind of you know, my brain had cleared a little bit and I was starting to listen, you know, in meetings, I was in sober living, I was watching the other girls I was in sober living with, and they were much happier than I was. Um, and so I thought, you know, I'm coming up on like a year sober. And as Rebecca mentioned, they say to give it a year. And I'm like, well, if this is how it's going to be in a year. I'm out of here, you know, but at least I should give it a fair chance. You know, I should work the steps like they say to so that's what I did, you know, um, in between nine months sober and my year sober, I, I sat down and like seriously wrote out a four step. And I think I read my fifth step to my sponsor. Um, and I had just gotten a new sponsor um, and kind of, you know, did one, two and three with her and then, you know, really worked on this four step. And I sat down and did my fifth step with her like um, right before I had a year sober and, um, you know, my experience with the fifth step, and I, I really want to talk about the steps because, um, you know, the solution for me was in the steps. And I, 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 I hope that's like not new information, you know, or if you've been to a few meetings like the, that, you've heard that, um, it took me a long time to hear that. I think just cause I wasn't listening. Um, 
But I worked my fist, I read my fist step to her. And my experience with that step was that it, it didn't make me feel, you know, connected to my higher power or super free or anything like that. In fact, it, it almost kind of had the opposite um, effect where I felt very burdened, um, you know, because I had not only had I never been honest with another person, I had never been honest with myself. And then to sit there and have it all on paper and read it, it was like, it, it was overwhelming, you know, and um, what it did do for me, though, <clears throat> is it like legitimately lit a fire um, for me to finish the rest of my steps, because it was the first time I'd seen what my life was, who I'd been, and I didn't want to be that person anymore. Um, so I moved on through my, you know, into my steps six and seven. And, um, you know, what happened for me was by the time I had 18 months sober, I had finished my steps, you know, and um, the fifth step was a big turning point for me. Um, also the, the eighth and ninth step, you know, that was huge for me um, because I got to like all that stuff that I felt so much shame about on my fifth step. Um, I got to start correcting some of those things, going back and cleaning up the mess. And um, every time I made an amends, like I felt, I started, I felt that freedom. I started to feel a little bit freer, a little bit lighter. And like, and, and what happened for me too, was like, by that time, the obsession started to be relieved, you know, and it was different than I thought it would be. Like, you know, I heard people say, oh, the obsession's been removed from me. And I thought that meant that they never thought about drugs or alcohol. I still think about drugs and alcohol. If I could go get high or drunk and have no consequences today, I would do it. I just, I don't think about it in that like stomach turning, palm sweating, like obsession that I used to have, right? It's like, I think about it and I'm like, oh, that's a silly thought. Like, you know, I would lose everything that I have today. It's like a coming and going thought, you know, or I might indulge a little bit and then be like, okay, no, you know, the only thing I tend to indulge on these days is I wish I could smoke weeds. I feel like it's really much stronger these days than anything <laughs> I experienced. And I feel like I missed out on that, but whatever, you know, but then I can correct myself and I can talk to my higher power and I can think about how, like, if I did that, um, number one, I wouldn't just smoke weed, um, but also like I just would lose the beautiful life that I have today, you know, and I don't obsess. And um, so the obsession started to be removed for me. I'd have, you know, hours, days, a few weeks go by where I wouldn't like, you know, have that like, you know, turning thoughts in my brain about um, about getting loaded. And that was that was like I never thought that would happen for me, you know, and that really started to come around the ninth step. Um, you know, I, I got to, um, and I think the power, the most powerful, one of the most powerful things for me too about the ninth step was, um, it was where I really started to have like a personal relationship with my higher power. Um, you know, I worked my third step, I gave my will and my life over to my higher power. I didn't, I didn't even know what that meant, right? And my sponsor was like, that just means let's go on to your fourth step, you know, and like, and, and keep going, you know, because by doing that and taking that action, I'm like trusting that something's going to happen that, you know, is going to make my life better. Um, but, you know, I got to make these amends where I would face up to situations that were 
terrifying. Um, you know, people I'd really hurt, um, you know, friends that I'd really abandoned and like ripped through their lives, like the tornado that it talks about in the big book. Um, and I got to, you know, face these people and, um, you know, and, and make amends for the harm that I had caused. And, um, you know, I had to walk into some situations where it was like, I remember like that apartment complex, I, that apartment I mentioned where I lived there. I mean, there was that apartment probably had to be cleaned out by hazmat. Like I don't eat, there was holes in the wall. There was smashed up, you know, um, fish tanks for the weed plants I was growing in the spare bedroom. There was, you know, many spider infestations that were maybe half imagined and half real. I'm not really sure, but, um, you know, I mean, that apartment was destroyed, like destroyed. And I just dipped out in the middle of the night, but, um, you know, I, I had to, um, I owed them financial amends. Um, they had mailed me, you know, obviously the last month's rent plus all the cleaning, you know, whatever. And, um, so I had to, I had a pretty hefty financial amends for that. And, um, and so I had to, you know, and, and it was one of those things where every time I'd go home to like see family, I'd even drive in that area of town. And it was just like, you know, it felt so awful. And so I knew it was time. And, um, you know, I, I walked into that office and I went with some money in hand. I obviously didn't have uh, at that time, everything that I owed them, you know, and I kind of said my little spiel and I needed to talk to the manager and this, that and the other. And, um, and, you know, they gave me, um, you know, she kind of looked at me weird and was like, well, she's not in, but you can call and blah, blah, blah. So it took me a while, but I finally got in touch with the manager and she said, you know, come by at this time. And so I did. And I walked in and I told my, you know, thing to her, I used to live here. I was a, you know, really disrespectful tenant and caused a lot of damage. And I'd like to, you know, make amends for, for the, the damages that I caused and, um, you know, pay back any, any, any money that I owe. And, um, you know, here's what I have right now and I can send you money every month. And, and she was like, I can't remember exactly what she said, but she was like, I didn't say alcoholic, Alcoholics Anonymous in my thing. And she was like, are you an Alcoholics Anonymous? And I was like, yeah, how did you know? And she's like, well, I am too. And um, she's like, is your sponsor making you do this? And I was like, well, yes, but I also want to be free, you know? And so um, she's like, just, I'll take this now and send me this much every month, you know, until you're paid up. And, um, you know, so it's like I had these experiences where I I would walk into these situations that it was so terrifying, right? And like, I can call my sponsor beforehand and tell her and she can give me, you know, yay, you're doing it. I can text my little sobriety sisters and they can encourage me. And, you know, I can use the support of Alcoholics Anonymous, right? But when I am walking into that room, it is me and God or it's just me. Like, do I, like, it's, I either have to go in with God or I can go in alone. And I chose to go in with God, you know, with my higher power. And I would come out on the other side and I'd be okay. And I was like, I started to have those experiences where I, experiences where I just felt like, you know, my higher power was watching out for me. And, um, and I think those were really my, my first big spiritual experiences in this program. And so then I, you know, like I said, by the time I had 18 months, I, I finished the rest of my steps and I started sponsoring and carrying this message to other women. And I will tell you, the 12 step is where I felt like 100% in love with Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, if it was all that other stuff, it was, um, it was, I mean, everything else was really amazing too, you know, those events and, 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 and all the steps are great, you know, but, um, 
but that's where I just was like, you know, kind of like Rebecca was sharing, like, I didn't, I want to stay here. I want to stay here. I, I hope to stay here. Right. Instead of like, Oh God, this is what I have to do. It's like, I hope to stay here, you know, for the rest of my life. I really do hope that. Um, and I know it's not a guarantee, you know? Um, so, you know, since then, obviously it's been a, a little while and, and, you know, life is, I mean, it's crazy because I got sober and I didn't expect to live past, I don't know, 30 was like a lofty goal, you know, like I had accepted that I was going to drink and drug until I died. And I didn't know if that was going to be tomorrow or next month or next year, but I, I didn't expect it to last that long, you know? And, um, so I didn't really expect to live, you know, um, past 30 and, and, and I didn't kind of like with, you know, Rebecca mentioning our wildest dreams, like I didn't really have any dreams to be honest, you know? So, um, I had to really grow up in this program. I mean, I got sober when I was, I think I just, I just turned 22, you know, so I was, I had to grow up and, um, you know, I went back to school, um, which was terrifying. Um, but Alcoholics Anonymous taught me to show up, sit in the front, ask for help, ask questions, um, you know, stay after if I don't understand things to set aside my pride, um, you know, get extra help if I need it. And, um, you know, it took me a while. Um, but I graduated with my bachelor's degree and then I got my master's degree and then I got to start pursuing a career that I really, really love. Um, I can be a workaholic now instead of an alcoholic. So I have to be careful about that, you know, um, you know, but also life happens, you know, it's like, I didn't know really what life was like to live sober, you know, and, and life sober is, it's full of joy. It's full of sadness. It's full of, um, you know, um, it's full of losing people. It's full of gaining people in my life. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's a kind of a crazy ride. And, um, you know, the longer that I've been able to stay sober, it's like, you know, I think I had this expectation in the first few years of sobriety that it's like, you do everything, you know, right then life is right. And like, that's not necessarily been my experience. You know, my experience is that life is still happening. I'm just sober for it, you know, which means that I have to feel it, um, which can suck sometimes, but it also can be like the most joyful thing. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm so grateful that I had this opportunity to get sober um, and experience that um, because without, you know, it's like, yeah, the sad stuff sucks. Um, but then I wouldn't experience the joy too, you know? Um, and I'm really, really grateful that I got sober or that I had this opportunity, um, and that I did it. And I feel very blessed because, you know, I don't know why I got to get here and stay here. Um, I just, I take it as a gift. I try to remember to take it as a gift every day because I know a lot of people who really want it and don't get to stay here, didn't get to stay here. Um, you know, this disease has taken some people from me, people that I really loved. I've watched it, you know, take people from others that I really love. And, um, 
So I try to remember that this is like a blessing and a gift every single day, um, you know, and keep that on the forefront of my mind. And, and that keeps me like in the middle of Alcoholics Anonymous, you know, and I hope I do like really, really hope to stay there. Um, and for me, that's just a miracle. Cause like I said, I came here not really um, wanting Oh, I think I forgot to say this, but something that I often say is like, I didn't come here wanting to get sober. I did not want to get sober. I didn't want to stop drinking. I didn't want to stop using drugs. I just wanted to stop suffering, you know, and, um, and I wanted to stop having consequences, you know, in my life. And, um, just by that little bit of willingness to do something different because of that, you know, um, you know, I was able to, um, work the steps, have the willingness to work the steps eventually, and, you know, still be standing here um, today, you know, almost 14 years later sober, and I'm, I feel truly blessed for that. So thanks for letting me share.